What is up, everybody? Welcome to another live episode podcast of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with Dwayne Mathis. We have a special guest from Texas joining us tonight, head coach uh, Tony Johnson from WT White High School in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We'll, we'll get to Coach Johnson here in a minute, but first off, thanks for joining us tonight. We are just absolutely thrilled you're taking uh, the next 50, 55 minutes to listen to us talk about leadership. You're going to walk out of here, number one, uh, with a couple things that you can take with you to be a better leader tomorrow. And, and that's a really important piece that you need to understand. Get your notebook out. Take notes uh, because Coach Johnson has some really great things he's going to talk about. He's got a book he's published. We can't wait to talk with him about that. Um, but we got some thank yous to take care of as well. First off, Coach Alba. Nate Alba runs the Chief Pigskin website. You are watching us live on clinic.chiefpigskin.com. Uh, we are just honored he's, uh, he's letting us run our live podcast through here. Every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central Time, you can find us and, and leaders with exceptional talent and experience, such as you're going to hear from Coach Johnson tonight. So leave here feeling rejuvenated, repurposed, um, so that you can come, come back next week and learn more. Um, so, again, thank you for being with us. Now, Coach Mathis, my brother from another mother, <laughs> my man. How are we doing? My guy. Yeah, that's right. Good, <laughs> How are you, dude? Doing well. I think I look pretty good in purple. So, uh, you know, I know that's Heck yeah, that, you do. That, it's my favorite color. That's your favorite color. That's right. I see the TCU helmet back there, coach. So, uh, <laughs> horns up, right? Is that what they say? Horns up? Horn frogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but no, I'm doing well. Uh, obviously, I uh, had some, some stormy weather here the last couple of days, uh, but uh, I think we needed the rain. So, that was good and, and uh, got some good work in on the field as well. So uh, just uh, it's been a been a good week. That's awesome. It's so good to hear. And, you know, everything is so up in the air right now with athletics in the summer and everything. So, you know, we're all coaching football in the high school area and we're all kind of throwing our hands up right now. And um, but but we got a great leader with us tonight. Coach Johnson, how are you tonight? I am. I'm doing well, Tim. Thanks for having me on, guys. You, it is our honor. It's our privilege to, to get to talk with you. You've got ties to Iowa, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. Yes, sir. Yeah, and um, and actually, we had a guest a couple weeks ago that was uh, the head basketball coach at Graceland University, which is where you coached football here in Iowa uh, before you took the, the jaunt down to uh, everything's bigger and better in Texas. Um, but so uh, they we'll, say. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but, Coach, uh, you've got quite a resume. And, you know, you, you've been a leader, uh, you've been a head football coach, you've been an assistant, you're an athletic director uh, at a high school in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, you've written an, a, a book that you co-authored with your son, I believe, uh, Anthony. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to join us tonight. He said he's got to get up bright and early to do actually what pays the bills. Uh, so we respect that. But, um, Coach, talk us through your background. Get us get us to uh, right. where you are now today, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more leadership. You bet. Well, I'm born and raised in Kansas City. Um, diehard Royals Chiefs fan, so it's a good year. Good year to be a Chiefs fan. Go, go Pat Mahomes. But um, born and raised in Kansas City, settled in a, a suburb of Kansas City called Olathe, Kansas, and uh, that's kind of where I cut my teeth. You know, grew up uh, elementary school, junior high, uh, high school, and even college. And so it's home. Olathe, Kansas is home. A lot of friends from Olathe still that I, I see and, and family in the Kansas City area. Um, always thought I'd be a high school coach, never dreamed about college. I played small Christian college at Mid-American Nazarene University, played for a wonderful Christian man named Mike Redwine, who's in the book. Um, and then, of course, Mike Redwine is now the vice president at Southern Nazarene University, Bethany, Oklahoma. But uh, got started at Pioneer Trail Junior High. 
I painted the field. That was my job. Um, I, I have a lot of uh, respect for the people that still do that. I painted the field, did the laundry, and kind of cut my teeth that way. And I did a little league football on the side while my wife and my kids were my kids were young, so my wife was allowing me to go do those things and just loved the game. My dad was my coach growing up as a little leaguer, and he was the coach, and so I was always impassioned about it. And then somewhere around 98, uh, I was at a school called Shawnee Mission West High School, dominant program in, in the area and uh had a chance we had a coaching change went through a coaching change um and the, the new coach who's a great coach uh but it, you know it's like anything when there's a new coach coming in there's new ideas I was young it just felt like maybe I, I needed to move on and really didn't know what moving on was going to look like and then TCU fell in my lap and got asked by Dennis Francione if I wanted to be a graduate assistant I didn't even know what that was <laughs> And, uh, you know, much like a lot of coaches back then, you could work summer camps. So I would go work in Nebraska, KU, K-State, and get, you know, get paid a couple hundred dollars and get a T-shirt. And you thought that was the greatest thing, right? And you were doing these camps and um, even did Iowa State for Dan McCarney. And we'll talk about that later because my son played for Dan McCarney in North mm. Texas. But, um, you know, ended up doing some of those things. And while I was doing that, I ended up at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. And the rest is history. I stayed in the college game. I got to fall in love with the state of Texas and how they treated high school coaches and how they treated high school players. And I saw the, the passion down here. And even though I jaunted, as you said, I have a career and I'm always hesitant. People always kind of, a lot of people look at it two ways, Tim. Some people say, oh man, you've moved around a lot. And I have, and there's a cost with that. And I talk about that in my book, but uh, you know, I was believing that I was chasing something that was uh, God placed in my heart uh, and what he wanted me to do with my life. And as I've gotten older, I do have some, you know, what I want, regret's not the right word, but I do have some things I wish I'd done differently and some places I'd have stayed a little bit longer and smelled the roses a little bit more, but mm. certainly been blessed and grateful uh, for the opportunity in all the places I've coached. Co coach, when you when you talk about, um, you mentioned your, your college coach, um, Coach uh, DeWine, is that correct? Red wine. Red, red wine. Red sorry. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you could tell that uh, you mentioned that he's talked about in your book, so he's an influencer on on you. But who else has been a tremendous influence on you that's led you to where you are today? I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my father. He's no longer alive, but my father, uh, my dad never pushed football on me, but it was a way we bonded. Hmm. You know, my dad was a uh, from Los Angeles. In the 60s he had he was on the taxi squad of the rams with rosie greer and jack snow and those guys and he was always a dream chaser he was a guy that always felt like he should have made it but didn't mm -hmm. and so as a coach when he became a coach like i said he coached me in little league and he volunteered in kansas much like iowa you rule 10 coaches are you familiar with that the rule 10 mm -hmm. where you don't have to necessarily teach in the building but you can coach and get a stipend oh, so he was he did that at a few high schools in the area and so I, I started to see, you know, you'd be a young boy, you'd be in the grocery store and somebody would see your dad and they'd go, Coach Johnson. I'm like, why are they calling him Coach Johnson? He's my dad, you know. <laughs> yeah. Early on, those things started to influence me. I would tell you that a man by the name of Larry Largent, who's a huge impact, I don't know how, I don't truly think Larry Largent knows how much of an impact he had on my life. Mm. Larry was my junior high coach and then he gave me my first job. And um, I'm forever eternally grateful for that. But just the way he carried himself, the kind of father he was, a hard worker he is, and he's retired now. He owns a farm, and him and his wife, his wife was one of our coaches, uh, just a phenomenal family. And 
I don't think he, he truly understands. I've tried to tell him a bunch and it's, it's always awkward because he's kind of blows me off, but I, I need him to know, and I tell him that all the time, I need you to know how much an impact you had on my life. But those two gentlemen, and then of course I get to high school and I play for a Kansas legend in Gene Weir, seven, six, a state championships. Uh, one of the winningest coaches in Kansas history. Uh, he's in the top 10 um, and soon to be a hall of famer in my mind. And, and my offensive line coach, a guy by the name of Mark Fraze. So those guys, and then I get to college and I, I go to a, a Christian college that's coming off 0 and 30. Mm. And obviously I thought I was better than, having to go there you know like a lot of people you think you're bigger and better than what you are and i ended up at this nai school and i'm i'm i've got a chip on my shoulder and something to prove and realize there's a bunch of good football players there and you better work and mike was a former player of that university so the university meant something to him and here was his first head coaching job he was young i think he was maybe 32 31 32 and he was a head football coach of his alma mater and they were coming off 0 and 30 and we were one of the first recruiting classes that he could recruit that was not Nazarene. It's a Nazarene affiliated school at the time and had such a, a lot of strict guidelines. So here comes this class. And, you know, I think we won one game that first year and I started. And then the next year we won four games. And then the third year um, we won six games. So I didn't play my senior year um, for, for various reasons, but uh, he turned that program around into a perennial powerhouse in the NAI. That's a, that's a great story. You know, I, I love hearing that story about your dad. Um, my dad's obviously, but he's a huge influencer for me. Um, taught me a lot about my faith and my and the way to live. And excellence is a word that we always talked about. But I, I love hearing you talk about your junior high coach because um, I, it's funny you mentioned that there's a, there's a kid, and I don't mean to make it about me. That's not what it's about. No, but, no you're good. Um, there's, a, there's an Italian coach when I was in eighth grade. His name was Anthony Feta. He always had a toothpick in his mouth, and his son was on our <laughs> team. And we were playing a North Chicago team, and I think Dwayne has heard this story. But it was an impactful two minutes for me because I thought I was kind of the big deal. I, I hit hard and I ran fast and I, I got to carry the ball and I thought it was all that. And uh, we played a team from North Chicago. Again, I'm 13 years old, so keep this in frame of mind, right? But we were just getting pushed around. It was a 0-0 game and I wasn't playing very well and I was very frustrated at half. And I remember eating my, eating my orange that that was a big deal. And I was kind of complaining to one of my teammates about, you know, whatever. And and Coach Fetus took his toothpick out and goes, you know, you're – and problem is, Tim, you think you're a lot better than you are right now. You're not playing very good football, and I expect you to play better in the second half because if you don't, we're going to lose. <laughs> you, you, I swear to God, I thought that I got punched in the gut and, and slapped in the face and was told that, uh, you know, you're the worst player of all time. But, you know, after I took a deep breath and got, you know, got over being offended, I decided I, I better play football and work hard for it. And um, it's amazing how a two-minute conversation um, can kind of help change the trajectory about how you got to work. And I, and yeah. I think – no, I didn't cut you off, Tim. What you just no. said is amazing because the great coaches, and even my father was this way, they know how to say things that sting at the moment, but they'll change the trajectory of your life. They, they sting at the moment, and you and you may have cuss words or animosity towards that person, but when you get a little older, you go, those words stung, but they drove me a different direction. My dad, yep. and I say this in the book, he said, I, I coach you to be average. That's easy. You want you want to be great. It's gonna take something, and you, you may not like me <laughs> very often. So, what do you want? You want me to coach you to be average? Because you'll like me if I coach you to be average. And that, I've always mm. taken that with me as I as I work with kids. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the blessing of, of what happens when you 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 take something from the work that you do. Um, yeah. 
So, Coach, you, you obviously you mentioned so many people that have, have made an impact to get you to where you are and help establish the standards that you have in your life. As, as you move into your programs and as you've, as you've grown, what, what are the non-negotiables you come in with? Like, this is who we are. This is who I am. Uh, this is how our staff is going to be. What do those look like and sound like and feel like? Well, this might be a little long-winded because I've been asked that question in a roundabout way from different people, and I love that question because each place is unique. When I was at Sacred Heart High School in Salina, Kansas, as the head coach, it was a parochial school in a town of about 50,000 people. We were the only Catholic school. And uh, you had a certain type of student athlete there. Okay, let's just be honest. Most of those kids were affluent um, and and came from good two-parent backgrounds. And then I've been in some schools where it was highly urban, and you'd be lucky to have mom and dad at the game. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't show up at senior night. And, and, and the non-negotiables you're talking about have always been, I'm not coaching effort. I tell my kids that every day. Mm-hmm. I am not going to coach effort. If I have to coach effort, you and I are not going to get along. So that's, that's the first non-negotiable. The second thing is I've, I've matured. I've not died on so many hills, Tim. You know, mm-hmm. it used to be, used to be okay, you, you don't have your socks a certain way or you don't you, – you came out with an earring. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to run the dog out of you. We're going to – there are rules don't get me wrong but i think every place you work once you start to put your non-negotiables as you mentioned your culture in and i'd like to use that word more than anything once i establish this is the culture i think each place is different and i'll give you a great example i don't kick kid off football team i would have never said that 10 years ago i because i think kids are hurting and kids need us more than we need them in a lot of places and i think a lot of times you kick a kid off the football team you might as well hand him the keys to your house because that's the first place he's robbing the place I'm at right now, they come to school to eat three meals. They get three meals at my school and, and play football with the hopes of getting out, right? Mm. So I'm going to kick that kid off the football team. You might as well hand him the keys to your house and your car because he's going to need something, and he's going to find it on the streets if he doesn't find it with you. And so I think you have an obligation in certain settings like that. Now, again, we have non-negotiables. Our acronym, we're, we're the long ones. I'll, I'll finish it with this. Our acronym, day one, and going into year three, if you ask any one of my players, they can repeat it. That's God's honest truth, is hook them. Honesty, overcome, overachieve, knowledge, enthusiasm, motivation. Everything you do, every decision you make involves one of those one of those statements. You, If I ask you a question, I want honesty out of you. If I put you in a situation you're not quite as good or don't think you can win the game, overcome. Overcome what you're feeling overachieve you can do better than what you showed every day knowledge you can study film you can study school you can pass your classes you can get a degree enthusiasm when you step on the grass i'm getting after your i'm not going to say the word (laughs) i'm getting after your i want enthusiasm when you're out here i'm not coaching effort motivation you have an obligation as a student athlete for me to motivate everybody else around you your position group your sometimes your your coach you bring the energy no energy vampires here so that's my culture and i and i developed that over time but there are some things that maybe like i said 20 years ago i regret removing kids you know maybe a kid might you know he might get caught with some type of drug paraphernalia or he might get caught we're too quick as a society to throw people away have i ever had to remove a kid for his own good yes i mean i had a job before this one in bonham texas where a kid got arrested on my practice field. They came and cuffed him. They cuffed him. And he's serving five years in prison right now. Hmm. He's in his fourth year of a five-year sentence. 
there was no echo wasn't going to save that kid right i mean the justice system had taken him and made their decision so but my job at that point now is to pray for him to to be a example for him uh when he writes me a letter from jail and asks me how i'm doing which i get and coach will you pray for me will you think about me i die I have an obligation as once I put that whistle over my neck and start to become a coach that I have to, I have to do that. And so um, that's a great question, man. And I'd love to debate that with people uh, because I have some guys I coach with now that are like, Oh, if you're late to practice, you're done. We, we, we have punishments. We have things we push, but there are some, I'm not going to die on certain Hills. I died 20 years ago. That's funny. You say that coach. Cause you know, Tim and I have talked about issues sometimes where we get a little wrapped around the axle on some stuff, whether it be, you know, you know, I have a rule, for instance, uh, you know, like cleats or gloves or whatever have to be school colors. You know, I don't want to see, Correct. you know, you know, we're obviously purple and black. You know, I don't want to see red and green, you know, gloves or cleats or anything like that. And, you know, it's because, you know, we're, we're trying to promote, you know, our program and, and, you know, get kids to buy into that. And, you know, and, and I know Tim has a rule about, you know, the color socks and, and the length of the socks for for his kids and stuff like that. But it sounds like, you know, you've certainly had some uh, growth and evolution in regards to that. And I mean, so when when you see situations like that happen, how do you address them? How do you how do you go about that? Well, OK, so that, and again, that's that's a beautiful analogy you're using there. Our kids always. Well, one of the beautiful things about Texas is. We have a good enough budget that the gloves, the shoes, uh, obviously the uniform are provided for them. So, you know, we're, we're an Adidas school right now. So our kids get, I'll have 500 pairs of Adidas gloves and, and, and the wraps and, and the understuff. And they don't want, even at, even at the school where I'm at, they don't want for anything. Now, some kids want to go out on like pink out night. And I just tell them, I'm honest with them. Hey, I'm not allowing you guys to go get pink cleats or pink gloves, here's what you're gonna do. I got you guys a pink wristband and I got you guys a pink towel. You're gonna, we're all gonna wear the same pink towel and the same pink wristband. But the gloves and stuff's provided for them. So I don't see a lot of that individual stuff, you know? You know, And, you know, sometimes kids will write things on a cleat and I tell them, is this about you or is this about the team? You know, and we'll have that conversation. Um, if I get to practice and I, and I have a kid that's not dressed appropriately, I'll address it. And sometimes it's uncomfortable but I'll address it. And, and usually they turn right back around and go back in the locker room. And then at the end of practice, we do what we call a reminder. Hey, hey, as we're talking at the end of practice and, and sharing the information that I have to share, I may say, okay, Hey Marcus, or Hey Tony, or Hey, Hey Tim, you know, Hey Dwayne, you owe me two reminders for what you did at the beginning. Oh yeah. I got you coach. And do, and I don't want to make it seem like it's always perfect. Like there's never anybody that bucks me or tries to fight back because they, they get that. You know, and, and I've had moments where I've lost my temper and lost my cool and maybe said things I regret or wish I hadn't said in those moments. And I think one of the biggest things I do as a coach is I own it. And, uh, you know, I say this all the time. There are three types of coaches. You're either called, covert, or clueless. Hmm. And that's the truth. Every coach is either called, covert, or clueless. If you're called into this profession, the kids know real quick that you're not playing around, you're not messing around, that you have their best interest at heart because there's no hidden agenda. We all have egos. Everyone, you have an ego, I have an ego. Every coach has an ego, they're lying if they say they don't. They all have dreams, plans, aspirations, and things they want to achieve in this profession. But while you're in the moment with those kids and you're called, the kids will sense that and they'll know that. If you're covert, you have a hidden agenda, you're, you're there to hurt kids, or it's all about how quick you can make the next move to coordinator or the head coach, 
um, which I see a lot in our profession today. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to paint the field, as mm. I said, or start out at the junior high. Uh, they all want to be the OC after year two. Um, <laughs> and, and if you're clueless, we can, we can save you and bring you to the side of call. We can teach you. And that's honestly my heart right now, why I wrote the book uh, is for a lot of coaches. You know, I'm, I'm actually writing a second book right now called Chasing Ghosts. I'm almost done cool. because we all chase things that are not. And I'll get into this later with you guys. But we all chase this imaginary. I want to be in the NFL. I want to be a college coach. I want to be a recruiting coordinator. I want to do. And we don't stop and smell the roses and we don't stop and take care of the flock that God has given us. Mm-hmm. These 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 kids mm-hmm. that he's given us. And I'm, I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as the next guy in doing that. So. That's how I'd, I would handle that. Well, well think, uh, go, ahead. go ahead, Dwayne. No, go ahead. All right. Well, Coach, I, I, sorry, Dwayne, um, but you, you you threw a lot at us right there. And um, I, I think you speak to uh, the mission of, of a lot of coaches that I know that we have on this program specifically to talk about what we're talking about right now. Um, right. I think the, the ability to be vulnerable and admit that, listen, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Um, Dwayne and I will both fully admit that we have made a lot of mistakes and have not handled everything um, the way that we appropriately should probably on every situation because we're human. You know, there's only one person that ever traveled the world and it was perfect. And he's not here. He's uh, he's he's in our heart, but he's not he's not with us right now. I mean, in person. So um, we are doing the best that we can. Um, and you mentioned um, the way you were talking, the word grace came to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, grace is something that you give to somebody when they don't deserve it. And I feel like uh, that's what we aspire to do in our programs because that's what gets the kids heart you know that the path from your head to your heart is is full of grace and that that, i i really didn't have that on on my mind until you started talking about that and so that's that's a really an interesting piece because you know if you've read the book lead for god's sake um you you know uh just what a challenging read that is if you're a coach and just how hard it is to to read some of the things that happen it's a fictional book about a basketball coach and just driving kids crazy with how hard he is about making it about him um but you're on the path to make it not about you so i'm going to steal Dwayne's question here but um you you wrote a book and we're going to spend the second half of our of our podcast talking about your book but you know you have a passion to lead young men and and how is your um how has your leadership evolved over the last 22 years? Um, well, obviously, you said you've made some mistakes, but, but what, what has it been been like to be you the last 22 years? Well, it's my 27th year in coaching. <laughs> 27th. <laughs> yeah, 27th year in coaching this year. But I want to I'm gonna answer your question, but on my where my desk sits in my office, there's a giant whiteboard directly across from me. And I got this from a guy named David Ketcher. David's a, was my principal at Bonham. And I noticed one day when I was in his office, it said temper, justice, mercy at the top of the whiteboard. And it never left. It was always there. I asked him one day, I said, what, what, what? He said, every teacher that I have to bring in here and discipline, every student I have to discipline before they get in, because he knows they're coming to his office, right? He's called for him. Secretary's called for him. He says, I look at those words, temper, justice, mercy. And I say, no matter where this conversation goes, those three things I'm giving in this conversation so on my whiteboard it says temper justice mercy and grace Mm. i wrote the word grace so i try i'm not saying it happens i try believe me some people come in there and get me you know (laughs) if i specifically have to let a coach go or i have to have a difficult conversation with a parent 
Yep. But I look at those words. I really do, Tim. That's a God's honest truth. And I say, okay, okay, okay. I got to have a good temperament because I'm Italian, you know, and I'm going to get, <laughs> so I get mistaken a lot for being angry when it's just, no, that's how we are. We talk with our hands. We move around a lot. I'm not coming at you. So I tell myself temper, justice. Am I going to, am I doing what, what discipline I'm about to hand down is it justified and, 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 and mercy and grace. So anyway, but in my 27 years, I think you said leadership, right? My leadership styles. I think more importantly, I tried to be someone else I wasn't early on. Mm. I, I tried to be my high school coach because that's the example I got. You fall back to what you know, right? That's right. I tried to be him. Um, great coach, but I'm not him. Um, I tried to be my O-line coach. He was my FCA director. And, oh, okay, I've got to be good. I've got to love kids, yet be disciplined. He never cussed. Well, I couldn't do that when I was young. I, the cuss words came out, right? I'm just being honest with you guys. Yeah. And all the while knowing that that's not appropriate. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And then, of course, I get evolving and I get around the coaches at Shawnee Mission West. And they're all, they were all a tremendous hardworking coaches, but a veteran staff. There weren't many young guys or maybe two of us that were my age, two or three of us. And the other 12 guys were all 45 or older and they were veterans, right? So I didn't really get accepted into their little old guy club, as I call it, now that I'm in the old guy club, right? And uh, so I, I desperately tried to act like them and coach with their styles to, to emulate them. And then I go to TCU, which was a blessing and a curse because I'm at a major division one program with LaDainian Tomlinson, our NFL running back, you know, probably one of the best running backs ever. And mm. just all the stud athletes, Aaron Schobel, Bo Schobel, you know, the guys that were on that team that played in the NFL and everything out of their mouth a lot of times of those coaches was the f word you know and so okay and i remember a guy named chris thurman who's at oklahoma state right now we were at a, we were running a drill and i'm a ga and i'm and this receiver had dropped like four or five passes in a row and i'm screaming at him in the drill catch a damn ball catch a ball catch a ball <laughs> and he grabs me and he pulls me aside and he says he doesn't want to drop it and he walked away <laughs> mm -hmm. i went you know what you're right yeah. he doesn't want to drop it yeah. you know and it did, that little statement just changed who i was at that moment as mm. a coach he doesn't want to drop it you're destroying this kid mm. you know every time he drops a pass and he's just going to keep dropping them because of the pressure you're putting on him and then honestly coach you know as i've gotten older i've become more of a cooperative style coach my coordinators will tell you i've been i've been picked on for this i let my coordinators coach I am the, I, I'm joking here, it sounds bad, but I'm the best head coach to work for because if you're the OC or the DC, I stay out of your hair. I coach special teams and I want to have, I want to know what's going on. I want to have a say in what's going on, but come game time, you've put in the hours, you've put in the time. Who am I? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. There are moments where, you know, we're pounding the rock, we're running power down your throat and my OC will get cute and do something and we'll have to punt and I'll go, hey man, stick with what works because that's my job you know, to manage that whole thing. Yeah. But honestly, I, I've had a couple of D coordinators under me, different ones that have said, you're awesome to work for because you never mess with me. I'm like, yeah, tackle, stop them, get the ball back to us. I'm an offensive minded guy and you'll never hear from me. I'm never going to bother you. So I would say I'm more cooperatively, I'm more of a cooperative style coach now instead of a command style. Um, I let my coaches coach. I don't micromanage them. I don't humiliate them on the practice field. I never correct a coach. When I'm out walking around the field, I'm, I guess I'm more of a CEO coach now, um, unless it comes to special teams. 
I'm never, I just work on the kids, making sure they're doing the drill right, coaching effort. I try to praise the coaches all the time in front of their kids because I never want a kid to think I'm uh, I'm looking dumb or looking funny or belittling their position coach. I and mean, you'll never see that from me. If I have an issue, you and I will talk in my office away from the kids. Coach, that's, uh, I think, uh, dead on at how you, you know, most successful coaches, and, and I know there's a lot of different ways to skin the cap, but I, I feel like I've definitely gravitated more to uh, your style as I've gotten older into my coaching career. And, uh, you know, I've been coaching for almost 15 years now total, so it's not quite up there with you, but I'm, I'm trying to catch up. But, uh, you know, one of the things that kind of hit home with me with the grace is uh, when, when you, Tim and you were talking about it is, um, you know, I, I just took a position at Nottoway Valley where I uh, am the head coach, but, uh, um, you know, we're installing our systems that, you know, I'm, I'm bringing to the table. And I had a kid come up to me and, and um, you know, we do a, a line shift before we um, snap the ball, kind of the old cowboy Dallas Cowboys line yeah. shift where they stand up yeah. and go down. And, yeah. and we switch it up on some snap counts. And, um, you know, this is a change of pace and maybe a, an easy way to get a, a free five yards. And, and uh, I had a, one of my student athletes come up to me and, and basically he doesn't like it. And, uh, you know, I, I caught my, well, I didn't catch myself after the fact I caught myself, he, you know, he just said, well, yeah, I just think there's a better way to, to get uh, a team to jump off sides. And my immediate reaction was, I said, well, you know, when, when you're a head coach and you're running your program, you can decide that, but this is what we're going to do. Thanks. And on you go. And afterwards, I was like, wow, that was a little heavy handed. You know, I want kids to want to be able to come and talk to me, uh, you know, share their their insights, you know, but ultimately, you know, I could have handled that a little bit differently. Um, and so I, I the next day he was at open fields and I went up to him and I said, you know, hey, uh, I, I don't want you to feel like you can't come to me and talk to me about stuff and share your opinions on stuff. Doesn't mean I will always do what you want to do kind of deal but uh you know i just felt like i needed to to reach out to him and tell him that and i don't know if i would have necessarily done that you know 14 years ago when i got into my i don't even know if i would have had that reflection you know personally right. on that and and ultimately we're still going to do what we want to do what i want to do but i certainly shouldn't have brushed him off the way that i did so well, i 100 percent commend you for going back and talking to him uh, that that's huge, you know, and I think kids may not at the moment, but they will remember that they'll appreciate that. What you just described though, is, uh, we did a thing, you know, and you're in Iowa, so you play federation rules in mm -hmm. Texas. You can jump off sides and get back as long as you don't touch anybody. Right. In, in Iowa and Kansas, even when I was in, you got in the neutral zone, that's five yards. Yeah. So I totally get what you're trying to do. We did a deal called sucker three. So we would do what you did, the Cowboys thing. Yeah. Down, set, go. And, we'd, and on go, we'd go down. Yeah. Well, I'd do that all game, and teams would get used to it. I started going down on sucker, what we call sucker three. So it was down, set, go. And nobody would go down. Go. <laughs> Second go. And then a third go, all the hands would go down. And, right. and I always got a free five yards. Yeah. And we just called it go on sucker three. Well, what's <laughs> what's funny is you, you said that the you know when I went and talked to the student athlete the next day, he goes, oh, I didn't, I didn't take it that way. <laughs> He's like, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. well, you know, regardless, yeah. I wanted to reach out to you and, you know, just, you know, That's to clear huge. my conscience kind of deal. But, uh, you know, when you look at coaches and, and people that you bring into your program, coach, what's the number one thing that you look for? You got to be a great teacher, first and foremost. You got to be a great teacher and you got to be a kid magnet. 
So your kids want to be around you. The kids want to gravitate towards you. I'm, I did something that I took from a coach down here named Bob Wager. Uh, my son coaches for Bob Wager, and uh, it's awesome. You guys, you guys are going to love this. We took a headshot of all of our coaches. I just put their picture, colorful picture, little tiny headshot, and I put a rubric, one through five. Five being great, one being terrible. And I asked my football players, circle the number of what you feel about this coach. Wow. And then I went over that data with my coaches. We're not going to fire you on. It wasn't an evaluation tool, but I, I told the coaches, I said, like to the one that got the worst score. And I do myself too, man. And I said, look, and it's anonymous. The kids don't put their name on it. So I, I, I'd get these coaches and they'd come in and I'd say, hey, man, you, you got all ones. Like everybody on this team hates you. You know, and then we would talk about you're always yelling, you're always screaming, you're never doing like what you just said, Dwayne, where you're coming back and rubbing, putting your arm around them. And and uh, I'm very intentional. Like every week, my coaches, there's coaches that do the laundry, there's coaches that sweep the locker room, there's coaches that do the parking lot duty. And then I have two coaches, their job is to sit in the locker room in a chair and just talk about anything other than football. Put on the stereo while they're showering and changing to go home and just talk, walk around the room and say, hey man, how's school, how's your mom? That's their job for that week. And then we rotate. So like some people forget that part of it. So, um, you know, those those things are huge, you know? And so I, I make sure that the coaches know that their relationship matters with these kids. And that, that little piece, I had one coach, he's, he's with me still, he might be listening, you know, right now. But I have one coach who scored poorly at two schools I've been with him at. And I'm constantly, he's a veteran coach. He's older than me. And I constantly tell him, I'm like, hey, man, you're a great coach. You're good at what you do, but you are 100% a-hole, <laughs> sorry, you know, <laughs> on the football field all the time. Mm-hmm. And you need to let your hair down and, and let them see you as something different. And he's, all right, coach. I just, and I, again, I remind him, this is not an evaluation. Because I, I have to obviously do their evaluations and turn it into the principal. I said, this isn't, this has nothing to do with your evaluation piece. This is us building the culture of our program Mm. and what these kids think of you. Right. That's another reason I don't do, you know, early on in my coaching career, I had the discipline coach. Like if you screwed up, you're going to go see coach X after practice and he's going to run you. Well, guess what? Coach X is always getting zeros and ones (laughs) on that rubric because he's the discipline coach. I made him the bad guy. So once, once we figured that that wasn't cool, we let position groups handle their discipline so if tim's you know a running back and he's screwing up and i tell him hey you have two reminders tim guess what tim's coach is running those reminders mm-hmm. and he may be mad that tim's making him have to stay after practice a little longer because he's got other duties to do but and then there's a second conversation that takes place why did coach johnson have to do that to you i thought we talked about this so now tim's got a chance to talk to his position coach while he's getting his reminders in Well, I think well, that's coach. I think that's really good, Coach. In the sense, you know, Tim and I have talked about we don't, uh, you know, when we look for someone to hire, we look at, you know, character first. You know yeah. how you know we can teach the X's and O's to any coach that we bring that's into right. the style that we want uh, to run in our program, but we can't teach you how to be a good character. That's something that's but, but, naturally ingrained in you. Yeah, and that goes back to the called covert or clueless yes. that I mentioned. Yes, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Coach, before we dive in your book, you know, we, we always love to get everyone's 
uh, unique definition on leadership. Um, and it's described as many different things and it's thought of different different ways to many different people. But what, what's your what's your take on leadership? How do you define it? And leaders take you places you've never gone, first mm-hmm. and foremost. Um, that, I always believe that. And uh, leaders, to me, are not ashamed to admit when they failed. They're not ashamed to admit when they're wrong. Um, and they show tremendous courage under fire. They don't flip out. There's, I've, I've been around coaches on the sideline that up till Friday night seemed like the greatest leader in the world. And then when all heck broke loose, they're cussing, they're out of character. They're not, uh, they're not the man you knew for the last six days. And so to me, leaders, leaders know how to take you places you've never been. Coach, as we look at the book that you wrote, walk us through the process of, of going through that with your son. Sure. So I'm going to show the book because for your audience. So yes. you get this on Amazon. Um, so the book is uh, uh, written about three and a half, four years ago. It began, I should say, three and a half, four years ago. Um, my son's a writer, the one who co-wrote this with me, played college football in North Texas. And uh, he writes a lot and he was encouraging me to write. And I don't journal. Some people journal and I really... Uh, I, like I said earlier, my father's deceased, my mother's deceased, uh, missed them tremendously. And I thought, well, I'm a huge family guy. I want to leave a legacy. I want my, I want my grandkids, if I'm not here to know why I did this profession, why I chose this profession, I know a little insight into who I am, leave a legacy. And so I wrote this book about a, why I became a coach, the important things about coaching. And then I started to add bits and pieces about my faith. And I had this Google doc that was, you know, 150 pages long and needed to be edited. And I'm not a writer and, and my son is. And, and so he looked at it and he said, I think you got something here, dad. This is really good. And went back and forth. And honestly, I shelved it because I'm, I, I went through, look, I think leaders are some of the most insecure people you'll ever know. That's why they act tougher and have an ego because they're insecure. And once you realize that you're, you're a better person, you move forward. But my ego aside, I felt really insecure about the book. I'm like, you know, who, who is going to read a book by Tony Johnson? I'm nobody. Okay. Um, a high school football coach in Texas, big whoop. Um, who's not won a state championship, you know? Yeah. You coached at TCU and Texas A&M. Yeah. You were a college head coach, big, but no, but again, you're just a guy. So I shelved it. Well, COVID happens and my son and I were sitting out back smoking a cigar, having a diet, Dr. Pepper and just talking and He's, he's stuck here because he moved back home. He's a coach at a big school, like I said, in, in Arlington Martin. And he's stuck here because we got COVID and he's miserable, 26 years old. And so we would sit on the porch and we're smoking a cigar and just, I'm grateful for the, I'm grateful for COVID because this is a moment I'm getting with my 26 year old that most fathers and sons wouldn't have. And we got the fire pit going and we're talking about the book and his book and just life. And he says, we had a lot of conversations and he says, dad, have you ever thought about um, how what you do is a lot like a pastor. And ironically, I had, because I, I'm going to tell you, I'd, I'd gone and visited with my pastor, Ben Daly. Pastor Ben Daly was my pastor. Uh, it is my pastor. And um, my associate pastor has a piece in this book. And we started realizing that a pastor has to win on Sunday. And a pastor has a flock of people that he has to minister to. And during the course of the week, those people have issues with their marriages. They have issues on the job. They need counseling. 
there's unexpected things that pop up. The pastor has to pay the bills to the church. Um, he has to get people to come to the church. All these things re re resonated with me as a coach. I have to get people in the stands. I have to preach to my flock. I have to sell the flock on the mission. I have to preach on, on Friday, basically. You know, I got to preach a message and, and sell that message, and it's got to win. So um, there were a lot of similarities. And I was talking to my pastor, and my pastor says to me, I write my resignation letter every Monday. Hmm. And I went, what? You seem so happy, and life seems so grand, and there's 5,000 people in the church. What do you hmm. mean you're writing your resignation letter on Monday? And he said, Tony, I'm beat up. I am beat by the time Sunday at 1 o'clock comes around. And I've done three services and all the stuff I've done throughout the week. And I, and he said, who do I talk to? I'm the pastor. Who do I, who do I go to that I can counsel with? You know? And I was like, gosh, that's how I feel. Who's, who's helping me. And so we all, I'm really big into mentor. You need to have three or four mentors, men in general. We don't do a good enough job of sharing our hurts and our desires and our, and our sadness and our feelings. We hide them. It's the biggest problem with men. And then you put coaches on top of it. And we, we just don't do a good job of opening up. You know, and there was a book called um, The Power of Who uh, that I read by Bob Bodine. You should check it out. But it's basically based off the 12-3-1 principle. And Jesus had 12 disciples. Of those 12, he had three that were really close to him. Of those three, there was one that was like a brother. And we, you, I would encourage anybody listening, write down 12 people. It's hard that you would share your deepest, darkest secrets with in your dreams and then find the three, probably your wife, probably a brother, uh, that know every dark secret about you, your sins, the bad things you've done, the good things you've done, those three. And then there's one who knows it all. And that's like, for me, it's my wife, right? So the twelve three one principle, the power of who? And it just all of those things got me thinking about the history of football, how it evolved, why we need coaches, why we need ministers, why we have to shepherd our flock. I had a guy on a different podcast ask me last week, well, what if I'm not a coach? What if I'm not a pastor? How can this book, you know, the faith on the field pastoral ministry of a coach, how can this book help me? Well, you have a family, <laughs> you have coworkers at your job, you have neighbors. Uh, you can all, you all have, all of us have something we're shepherding. All of us have a flock. So it's a leadership book more than anything, but ultimately Tony came up with the idea to reach out to pastors and coaches in the industry and see if they wanted to write an overtime piece. So the book is like four quarters and then you've got an overtime piece and uh, that overtime piece are small essays that are written by men like Chris Melson, head football coach at Mansfield Legacy. Phenomenal football coach, played for the Oklahoma Sooners, Barry Switzer, super mm -hmm. diehard Christian. Uh, pastor Kareem Hickman, who is uh, associate pastor at Calvary. Um, I've got a guy that in the book, he's, he's an NFL agent, but he's also an attorney and he's an attorney for a major, major pastor, pastor Tony Evans, mm. who runs a major yeah. church. Down here. Yeah. And he, he, he wanted to remain anonymous and I respect that, but he wrote an essay in the book, Mike Redwine, and then the strength coach at Georgia tech, Lewis Corella. Oh, cool. I asked, I probably sent out 200 emails begging coaches and Bruce Matthews, hall of famer oh, wow. to write a piece for this book. And, uh, and you were surprised how many people didn't want to do it. They didn't believe it. And so, um, but I get it. I get it. Again, it's who are you? Why am I writing a book for Tony Johnson? And, uh, but anyway, it came together nicely. Um, like I said, we're already working on book number two and, uh, the book's selling well. We've sold over 200 copies on Amazon. 
Awesome. Which is not a great number, but it's pretty good for a self-published book. Heck yeah. That you know, two two coaches from Texas put together and put on Amazon. That's well, where it came from, Tim. Well, I think uh, you know, um, Tim and I have talked about you know with our podcast sitting down and and kind of to doing you know we've done over thirty episodes and we talked about taking and and putting a, a book together you know thirty one leadership lessons from you know thirty one you know leaders you know kind of deal and. It's a very da- daunting task when you think about it because none of us are authors. You know, we're high school, high school teachers and, and football coaches, and uh, you know. So when you when you sat down and talked about writing a book, coach, what was the biggest hurdle that you had to get over to do that? Get over myself that I that I'm not good at it, mm. and so I just got out a Google Doc and and I brainstormed. I would just start typing random stuff. Um, and then it just hit me and, and through prayer and, and just contemplating what I was doing, it just hit me. I'm going to start at the beginning, why I fell in love with football. What the, a lot of the questions you've asked me, who influenced me, why they influenced me. There's some stories, there's some anecdotes, there's some great stories. Um, and then I just, I tied some history, the history of the game of football um, and how football came about. So there's a history lesson involved in there. And so I just started writing. I would encourage both of you to do that. You you said it you want to do it do it i would tell you that would be a great i'd read that book because you've had 30 plus guys on this podcast and i'd be great i'd be honored to be a part of it and so i would just tell you to do it i'm this is probably silly but this you can tell the book is 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 got a nice cover it's formatted good guys my total out of pocket for putting this thing together is about 300 dollars. that's nothing it's not bad it's nothing and then you, 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 I can tell you all off, off this podcast how to do it. Um, I, I paid a formatter to format it, and a person that does it. They didn't need a publishing company. Uh, and then you send it to Amazon. They approve it. It takes about 48 hours. They send you the finished product. You approve it. And it's an ebook within 48 hours. Oh, wow. And, and then, I, then you'll get the hard copies, and it's there for life. And now, like Barnes & Nobles and local bookstores, you can you can order multiple copies of your own book and take it and they'll sell it themselves um biggest thing for me again was i wanted to leave a legacy for kids down the line that were my my kids i wanted people to understand my heart and to know where i come from and know that i'm i'm not perfect that i made mistakes and that that that, that you know i'm going to say something here you know, 20 years ago I love social media. Don't get me wrong. I'm on social media all the time, especially now with COVID, but <laughs> it's such a unique way to connect with people. I would not have met Tim right. had it not been for social media. And, but 20 years ago, if Tim and his wife or me and my wife had been out at the Grand Canyon and we wanted to take a picture, you had to, you had to take a throwaway camera or, or a normal camera and put film in it. And you took pictures and you had no idea whether that picture came out or it was blurry or your wife was kind of doing one of those or <laughs> and so when you got the film back you looked at it it was yeah. real well today everybody's got this camera phone and they're taking selfies and by god if they don't like it what do they do Dwayne? they delete it delete it yeah they delete it and they do it again and again or they put filters and they make it look different and what's happened is society coaches are looking at this and they're going oh he's got four thousand followers Oh, he looks so perfect. Oh, look at his Nike uniforms. Oh, look at that awesome shirt. Or look at coach has got that ring on that photo. Or 
listen, guys, this is an imperfect world where we all have deficiencies. Yeah, there are some awesome things that happen for me and, and awesome things that happen for you. And there's a lot of bad things too, but I don't put that on social media. I don't put the picture of me waking up in the morning when my hair's a mess or I look like garbage or I feel down about myself or I just got my butt kicked 55 to nothing in a football game. I don't put that. That's not out there because that doesn't sell. Right. You know, and so unfortunately we have a, a society of coaches that are coming up and they look at this and they go, oh, well, I can be an, I can be an NFL agent tomorrow. All I got to do is take a class or I can be an offensive coordinator because I'm good at Madden or <laughs> he, I, I can do that. And, and we have this performance wheel, what I call it. It's a rat on a wheel and it just spins round and round and round and round. And I've decided two, three years ago, I'm getting off the performance wheel. And don't, I'm going to lie to you. There are moments, brother, believe me, there are moments where I see somebody on Instagram or Twitter and I go, I got way more experience than that guy. And then I have to catch myself. It's almost mm -hmm. slap myself in the face now because I just don't want to go down that rabbit hole anymore. I did it. And it's, it's miserable existence. And you, you get end up being miserable to your wife and your kids because you're chasing as my next book, chasing ghosts, you're chasing after something that's not real. And I'm, and I encourage people in the book, faith on the field to find your why to invest in your why and to frosty Westering who wrote a book called make the big time where you're at another yeah. phenomenal book. Mm -hmm. I put a chapter in my book called not everyone's big time. And once you get to that realization that make the big time where you are, make it important where you are and that not everybody was meant to be the Nebraska football coach. Sorry. Not everybody was meant to be uh, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. Sorry. Not everybody was meant to be Dan McCarney. As much as I would love to have had that life and maybe one day I will, I don't know. That's God's choice. It's not going to define who I am. I'm not going to wake up and I'm not telling people not to have dreams that there's a difference or goals that there's a difference. Um, but beating yourself up, not smelling the roses and not honoring the young men and women that are underneath you, that your flock, that you're shepherding, that your flock, that you're supposed to minister to, that you're supposed to be there for you do them a disservice when your eyes are always on something else. Well, I think that's interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, in regards to, I don't want to say it's fake. I mean, in this, in regards to what people put out there on social media and stuff like that. But you know, I was fortunate enough to be uh, a coach. Uh, the last school I was out of a kid who was getting a lot of recognition for some some big programs, and I was able to accompany him to uh, a school where you know now part of the whole recruiting trip is this big photo shoot that they do. You know where they put on the uniforms and all these oh, yeah. different stuff, and you know and that's such a small part of what that university has to offer a kid. But the coaches were telling me how it's like to the kids, it's the most important part of the whole trip to them. They don't want to see the, the classrooms or the stadiums or the weight rooms or anything like that. They want to, uh, they put that on and, and the coaches were like, yeah, I hate this part. I mean, I, I could already be, I could already be home with my wife and my kids or whatever, but now I'm, I'm here for another extra two hours while all these kids yeah. put on, this and they take pictures yep. and poses and all this kind of stuff and and you know our, when <laughs> it's in the fall and it's you know 96 degrees out and they're you know in a three-hour practice are they going to be really remembering putting on that uniform uh, you know in that photo shoot you know I mean I think 
sometimes kids get a little delusional as to what the expectations are and, and what the reality is. Yeah, kids are sold on flash. That's what I call it. Yeah. And so these colleges, it's all about the flash. How big the ring is. I wear my rings. I'm not ashamed of it. My wife humbles me all the time. She's like, oh, you got you got that ring on tonight. Did that pay any bills this month? I, like, <laughs> I love it. No, it didn't. Leave it to, it the, leave it to your wife. Yeah. Just kick you right you know, in the gut and tell you, yeah. listen, you're the man of the house. Just be the man of the house. Quit showing off. I'll go take <laughs> out the trash. <laughs> hey. know, I'll be at, a, rest I'll be at yeah. a restaurant, a nice restaurant on a date, and it never fails. Somebody will go, oh, oh wow, is that what is that? And I'll talk about it. And she's like, oh. And they'll walk away. The waiter will walk away. And she'll be like, nice job, fathead. You know, <laughs> pay for dinner? You know, and I'm like, no, but I mean, it's just, um, but you're right, man. Kids are sold on flash. I was a recruiting coordinator at a D2 university, obviously as the head coach of an NAI college in a couple of places, you are, you're, you're every hat, you know? So I, I know how that recruiting coordinator thing works. I was a, in Texas, we have high school recruiting coordinators. Mm -hmm. They do a lot. As you guys know, and, and I did that at two major schools, Duncanville, which is top school in the United States, um, and then Cedar Hill for a little bit. And mm. or I wasn't there, but uh, South Grand Prairie. And, um, but so I've done all those things. I've seen all those those horror stories you're talking about, Dwayne. I mean, the college game with mini camps and junior camps and combines and this, it's just, it's different. I'm not saying I would never do it again um, if, the, if this opportunity came up, but it you are not afforded the opportunity to be a great family man in a lot of those places because of the expectation put on you to do all those extras and sell those bells and whistles. And now with the transfer portal and this and that, it's just, it's, but guys, I'll be honest with you, it's happening here in Texas. I mean, I'm having to recruit my own kids, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm talking I and mean, anybody listening, I'm not saying I'm going out actively recruiting kids to my school. What I'm saying is I got to stop them from leaving mm -hmm. because as we mentioned off air, seven on seven and AAU and, and, you know, well, my AAU coach says I should go here. <laughs> Dre, you coach got a college degree. <laughs> well, no, does your AAQ, you know, and it's just, we call them handlers. There's too many handlers down here. Mm. And, um, you know, there's this thing in Texas called straight line recruiting where the high school coaches have all banded together down here. And we say, we won't talk to anybody. We will not allow our kid to sign with a college that, if that college coach hasn't talked to us, love it. That is awesome. Us. That is awesome. And the straight line recruiting and it's, but it's hard because I've, I've had private conversations with uh, coaching buddies that are, I'll give you an example. I won't say which major university, but they're in conference USA. And I worked with this guy at TCU and he's a great coach. He's career college coach. And I said to him, do you talk to so-and-so? I just mentioned this handler's name that's in the area. I said, do you talk to him? Be honest with me. Well, yeah. I said, well, then how are you straight line recruiting? If you're entertaining this guy mm. and you're not going to the high school coach, you're not following the rules. And he says, Tony, I am talking to the high school coach, but here's the problem, TJ. He says, if I go back to my head coach and we're sitting around the table having a recruiting meeting and he gets to me and he says, hey, I heard about this receiver named Tim Lovell out of such and such high school. And I don't know who Tim is. I'm in trouble because my head coach is going to rip my butt, maybe fire me. And so I have to turn his, his words. I have to overturn every stone, even if that means talking to a handler or the cook at the diner to find every player. And I said, well, I get that to some degree, but you're empowering mm -hmm. that handler yeah. when you do that. And he's the one stealing my kids and directing them to other schools. 
Hey, Coach, I'd, well, be, I'd be remiss real quick before as we wrap up here. I wanted to, I wrote this down, and I wanted to ask you when you were talking about the kid who um, got arrested on your practice field. Okay, uh, my question, you know, because I think uh, this would be a real transform, uh, transformational moment for, you know, him. Have you visited him in prison? No, sir. Mm-mm. No, that's a fair question. No, I have not. Well, you said you were in communication with them, so I mean, yeah, obviously, we've exchanged. He's yeah. you're someone that's obviously been a huge, huge influence on his life, and um, you know, maybe I need to. Yeah, I really do. I need to. I need to. You're right. Uh, it was, it's not for lack of, uh, it's just, it, no, there's no excuse. I haven't, we've exchanged letters. Right. Um, and so he's due to get out sometime this fall. And so I am anticipating an opportunity right. to get together. I haven't talked to him in probably six to eight months. Mm. Uh, I probably need to write him a letter and, and check on him, but no, I did not. I, I didn't did mean not. to put you on the spot, but I, I, I no, I'll be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Coach, as we wrap it up, uh, how, how can people find your book again, and how can they find you, uh, social media, uh, reach out to you or get in touch with you if they have questions after listening to this podcast? Well, the book is called Faith on the Field, The Pastoral Ministry of a Coach. It's for all coaches. It's for pastors. It's for FCA groups. Our heart is to share my story, my son's story, the history of football, and how the, the two intertwine with pastors and ministers. I think, I think it's a book for leaders, um, and there's some essays for some great coaches in the back of it. You can find it on Amazon, uh, or you can reach out to me, and I can I can send you a copy. It takes a little bit longer through me just because of the, the, the way it works. But uh, I'm at Kickslide on Twitter, at Kickslide, and on Instagram, I'm at, at AssemblyOL5. So those are the two main formats. I'm on Facebook. Um, be glad to uh, talk to anybody. Our heart, Tony and I, we've put together, I wouldn't say curriculum, but we put together a presentation. We want to speak to church youth groups. We want to come into men's groups and share. Uh, we have a, 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 about a 45-minute presentation based off the book. And so if there's anybody out there listening that would love to have two Midwestern guys come up and talk to your church men's groups or your FCA groups or your, even your school, uh, I think there's a way to make that happen. And so we would, we would love to talk to them about that. Well, we have gotten a lot out of this last hour, and we are pushing the upper limits of where we need to be. So, you know, I, I, the, the things I'm taking away, Coach, temper, justice, mercy, and grace, I'm going to write that on my board and hook them. Uh, honest, overcome, overachieve, knowledge, enthusiasm, and motivation. I mean, what an incredible hour. I, it, this was one of the fastest we've had, and Dwayne and I say it every time. We, we just get better every time, and we have incredible guests. And thank God, literally, for you reaching out to me because I'm better because of the time I spent with you, and I know our listeners are as well. Thanks for taking time with us tonight, Coach. Um, and if you if you want to uh, get a hold of Coach, we'll we'll have this uh, up on our uh, Anchor.fm website uh, on Sunday. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, let's keep Jason life, leadership, and the pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Thanks for tuning in tonight, and stay tuned for Coach Elbaugh at 10 o'clock. Uh, Chief Pigskin after dark. Take care. <laughs>